Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent, greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn over, thumb over to the small book of Titus uh, toward the end of your Bible. Uh, uh, If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, just as a reminder, we do have uh, those in the display uh, uh, right outside the door. Uh, By the way, thank you, Courtney Lee, uh, for building that that cool new display. Way to go, Courtney. Uh, Give her a hand. Um, She made this rad display for like our bulletins and Bibles and pens and things like that. And so um, um, just so you know, if you don't have a Bible or you need one, uh, those are always available for you right out uh, side. Uh, let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you for this church family, uh, for uh, all um, all just the members of the serve teams that, that came early to, to set up and to prepare and plan and pray uh, that, um, that, that us, your people, would be served well this morning and that you above all lord would be glorified um lord would you uh, just give me true and faithful words uh, to share and teach and holy spirit would you just open the eyes of our hearts that we might see and savor and just marvel at the beauties of christ in the gospel and in this word it's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. So we started our, our, our little journey through the small book of Titus just this, this last week. Uh, and uh, if you were here last week, uh, you know that this is an important series for us as a church family. It's an important series for us as a church because, uh, in particularly, like the, one of the unique things about the book of Titus is how it is written Titus is written to serve new churches. It's written to serve new church plants just like ours. Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him, to instruct him in how to establish healthy churches. He's writing as one pastor to another, as one church planter to another, encouraging Titus in how to instruct and establish healthy churches so that they're both inwardly healthy in their doctrine of grace, but also outwardly healthy in how they live that out. So that's the whole theme behind Titus, that it's both uh, about the doctrine that we believe, but also how that is displayed and bears fruit in our lives. It's about the grace that we hold dear to us, but also how we live in light of that, how we live that out. And this morning, we're going to see the first point of instruction that Paul now gives to Titus. 
about establishing biblical church leadership. Now, my guess is that a lot of you were not thinking when I said that, this is going to be amazing, right? Like, I've needed this sermon. Like, nobody is saying that when I'm saying that this is about biblical church leadership. Um, I, I, I looked it up this week, and one of our most downloaded and most shared sermons recently was on, on suffering, on, on how, how light breaks into darkness. And another one of our most shared uh, sermons was on resolving conflict back in Philippians. And, and, like, that makes sense, right? Because those are common issues that we all deal with suffering and conflict, but, but I get the sense that a sermon on biblical church leadership is not the kind of sermon that like, you'd send to your, your cousin or your, your, your co-worker with like, this changed my life, right? But if that's you this morning, I want to sort of push back on that posture. I want to push back on your thinking, and I want you to see, I want all of us to see that what the Bible says about church leadership, what the Bible says about healthy leadership has everything to do with your life, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning. What the Bible says about church leadership has everything to do with your life. Your understanding of these verses is vital to your growth in Christ. Your understanding of this passage of Scripture is vital to the health and the strength of your church that you belong to. I mean, think of it this way. Some of us in this room have been greatly blessed and encouraged in our walks with Jesus by certain pastors or church leaders, right? That's part of my story too. And there are others of us who've been deeply hurt and spiritually or emotionally wounded by certain pastors or church leaders. And that's part of my story too. And so it's it's good and helpful to know what is what does God have to say about that? How does the Bible, the Scriptures, how how does God speak into that? There's also this reality that some of you in this room might one day aspire to serve as like a pastor or an elder, maybe in this church or maybe another church. And and the the Scriptures say that's a good thing. It says that in 1 Timothy 3, that's a good and noble thing to aspire to that. And if that's you this morning, then this text Uh, can be sort of like an assessment for you, a self-assessment. This text can be like a mirror that you hold up against to your soul to say, what is God showing me in this passage of Scripture? What's off in my life and in my character? What in my life does not fit? What needs to change? Others of you in this room, you might not ever serve as a pastor or as an elder in the church, but just from being part of a local congregation like this one. You need to know what the Bible says about church leadership. Look, you need to know that the Bible says to honor and to pray for your pastors and your elders, which admittedly is kind of like an awkward thing for me to say, right? Uh, That's not my opinion. That's in the Scriptures. 
My job's to deliver that message. And so it would help for all of us to know what the Bible calls us to so that you know how to best pray for and encourage your pastor. And if you're a covenant member here at King's Cross, if you've gone through our membership uh, process, then you remember when you, when you went through that, then you know that in some sense, you'll have a voice at the table as we raise up new elders going forward as a new church. Part of that process is... is uh, having uh, these candidates for, for elder will come before the covenant members of the church, which if you've gone through our membership process, then you know that that pertains to you. And according to the scriptures, if you are a meaningful member of a local church, you in some sense should, should have a voice in that process. You should have a voice in that process. And so like, you need to be able to say, as a member of this church, you need to be able to say either, hey, I don't think this person's qualified for the office of elder, or to say, yes, I absolutely think this person is qualified for the office of elder. And you need to have some sense of what the Bible says about that in order to make a, a, a meaningful contribution to that discussion. And you'll notice, even... And as we go through this passage, as we're wrestling with what does biblical healthy church leadership look like, as we go through this passage, you'll notice, regardless of, of where you're at in your Christian walk, you'll notice that it, even if you don't aspire to being a pastor or elder or, or serve in leadership, or, you'll notice that most of the qualities that we're going to discuss in the text this morning really aren't that extraordinary at all. They're just normal things that all Christians are called to. And so in some sense, every single one of us, every man and woman who's a disciple of Jesus, who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior, every single one of us um, should be able to say in some sense that if we don't meet the biblical requirements, most of the biblical requirements of an elder, that that might be an indicator that you're not living faithfully as a Christian at all. The qualifications of elders and pastors are just the ordinary things that all Christians are called to. Elders and pastors just need to be exemplary in those things. And so maybe you're here this morning and just as a follower of Jesus, you can listen to some of these character qualities and, and ask the Lord your God to reveal if there's anything in this text, an area that you personally need to grow in this morning. So those are just a few of the reasons that what God says about church leadership in this text is vitally important for all of us, regardless of where you're at on your spiritual journey. So a man by the name of Ian e. Bounds, he's, he's famous for his, his books on prayer. Uh, and in one of those books, he says, a church rarely revolts against or rises above the religion of its leaders. In other words, generally speaking, healthy biblical leaders should, generally speaking, produce healthy biblical churches. 
and unhealthy, unbiblical leaders will often produce unhealthy, unbiblical churches. And so we're going to press into, walk through this text, focusing on verses 5 through 8, to see what does God have to say about biblical church leadership. Number one, we see in verse 5, we need to recognize the need for leadership. Just recognize the need for leadership, that leadership is a thing and that we need it. We need it in order to be healthy, in order to grow, and in order to mature. In verse 5, Paul gives instruction to Titus, and read this with me. In verse 5, he says uh, to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, Quick note on this term elder, this term, that, that word elder is kind of misleading, all right, with, with how we tend to use it today. It doesn't mean somebody who's older in age, although it can mean that, or somebody who like rides, rides a bike with a name tag uh, and a tie. That's a different team, right? Different kind of elder. It's more about someone who's mature in the faith. All right, someone who's mature in the faith and an overseer in the church. You know, the Greek words that are, 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 are translated uh, uh, all throughout uh, the, the, the New Testament, um, you got the, 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 the Greek word presbyteros, uh, episkopos, uh, poimen, uh, translated uh, as elder or bishop or pastor or shepherd. Uh, now, there are, there are um, some denominations that will, will, will make those different offices, right, in the church. Like you might hear of some de- denominations that have like bishops, right, and, and, and stuff. So, so but, but our conviction is that when you read the New Testament scriptures, every time that you see uh, those words show up in the scriptures, um, it is referring to the same office. Like they're used interchangeably. Now, what does that matter? Uh, because it's, it's a common practice that uh, elders in some churches are, 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 are those that, that, that like make all the, the business decisions, right? They, they make the money decisions, they make the business decisions, and then pastors are the ones that are the, like the, the, the ones that, that, that work for the church or, or, or um, uh, uh, care for, for people or, or teach. But our conviction is that when you, when you read the scriptures, these words are interchangeable. And so the qualifications of an elder are also the qualifications of a pastor. All right? And so uh, it's just important for you to, to know that so that when we're going through this text and, and we're going through this, that every other place in the New Testament that you see elder or pastor or bishop mentioned, it's talking about the same office. These are the same set of qualifications for that office in the local church. Now, every church needs elders, pastors who are called and competent and qualified. And so part of our job, just like Paul gave to Timothy, is to put into order a process for developing and assessing and appointing elders uh, with the help of the congregation, which again is why it's important for all of us to know these things. Now, you and I, we can tend, we can, we we might tend to make one of two mistakes 
when it comes to how we view leadership, how we view Christian leadership or just leadership in general. On the one hand, some of us can deify our leaders. Deify our leaders where there's this danger when we treat our leaders as though they are perfect and untouchable, like they're everything to us, right? Almost like this, this, this uh, 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 cultish um, uh, sort of camaraderie and, and, and uplifting of, of a person. But on the other hand, uh, some of us might tend to demonize leaders. Where we've been hurt by certain leaders in the past, maybe wounded by leaders, and man, that's, if that's you this morning, like that's me this morning, uh, I mean, we should lament that because that's not right. But there's an equal danger when we start to demonize leadership and want nothing to do with it. A lot of the reason that many people stay away from local churches, just the, the church as an institution, the reason that a lot of people who grew up to church no longer go is, is, is because they've lost faith in its leaders. And that's a tragic thing. That's a tragic thing, and it's something that is, is, is tender in the heart of God. And that's why in Titus and in 1 Timothy 3 and in multiple other places throughout the New Testament, it talks to us about the quality of, uh, of characteristics that uh, leaders in the church need to emulate. It's in the Scriptures because God cares about that. Because God cares about that. He wants us to know what healthy leadership looks like and to be able to, because of the Scriptures, cry foul when we see unhealthy leadership. You see, some of us that, that have an aversion to leadership, we assume that in the first century, the church just kind of organically kind of figured things out. There was no hierarchy of leadership at all. But again, when you read the New Testament, we see it all over the place. All over the place, including here, we have the marks of a leader. And that is why what, why what we need is really a healthy, biblically informed type of servant leadership. Uh, most of us have seen Toy Story, right? Most of us have seen Toy Story. Um, if you haven't seen Toy Story, let me just say as your pastor, like you need to change that. Right? We need to do something about that. Um, I, my, my kids were watching uh, a Toy Story uh, 4 uh, yesterday. It just showed up on Disney Plus, and, and I was watching like 20 minutes of it uh, uh, with, with, with them. And, and uh, it, it just kind of struck me uh, in this, this one scene I was watching. Uh, if you're familiar with the storyline, uh, Woody, the cowboy, the, 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 like the main character, his development as a leader over the series. Like in the first couple movies uh, are all about like his development as a leader. He starts off kind of proud and entitled, and then he learns how he needs to use his power and his privilege, his position to serve and to lead others. Then the last two movies, we see that Woody's of a more developed servant leader. He's still not perfect, right? None of us are, but he's more developed servant leader, and his 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 servant leadership plays a key role in the survival and success of the other toys like as, as, as the movies develop on and I was uh, I, I was just thinking like just watching that and just thinking about how like every every single story every single epic every single series even in just real life leadership is necessary 
I found this quote this week from this, uh, uh, what, uh, you know, uh, Churchill has been, uh, uh, one, I mean, he's one of the most revered uh, leaders uh, of the last uh, uh, century and a half, uh, Winston Churchill, and, and, and he's been getting more airtime lately because of movies like, like Dunkirk and, 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 and things like that. And so, but, but uh, it, Churchill became, uh, he was, was a leader that rose up when the world was falling apart and people were feeling hopeless. And he had that famous speech that he gave where he said, we shall go to the end. We shall fight in France. We'll fight here. We'll fight, uh, we'll fight them, them there. And he's like, whatever the cost may be, we shall fight and we shall never surrender. One biographer says, at this moment in time, the world needed a lion. And God provided that lion in Winston Churchill right at the cusp of a world war. We see we've seen in real life, we've seen all the epic stories, whether it's from Disney's Pixar or uh, a, a world war like the Allied Powers, or it's in just the people of the church. Leadership is necessary. We can't escape its need. The question is, what kind of leaders are we going to be? What kind of leaders are worth emulating? The Apostle Paul understood the vital importance of biblically grounded and spirit-empowered leadership in starting and growing these healthy churches throughout Crete. The kind of leaders who not only would use their voices powerfully, but would live virtuously for the glory of God and for the good of others. I want you to notice that Paul says in verse 5, he says, for this reason, he says, this is why I left you in Crete. For this reason, I left you there. What's the significance between with that clause? Is it shows us that, man, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. There's a mission to accomplish. That's why leadership is necessary. If you remember from last week, we talked about how Crete, this island, uh, was a jacked up place, right? It was a hub of pirates. It was ground zero for Greek mythology where they all worshipped uh, a Zeus, uh, a capital or a lower G god, Zeus who lies, steals, takes advantage of women. I mean, the, and everyone wanted to be like him. The island population was a hot mess. And while some might be tempted to leave a place like that, Titus looked around and was all the more resolved to stay. He was resolved to stay in spite of how crazy things were, in spite of the mess. Not to gentrify the place, <laughs> but to proclaim Jesus in the place to build up the church, to appoint elders to lead God's people so that more people can grow in grace and, and bring just the hope of Jesus to this island. Paul and Titus, they had the long vision in mind. And that's why they wanted healthy leadership, because they, wanted, they had the long vision in mind. They wanted to shape the community and, and, and shape generations, multiple generations on the island of Crete for the glory of God. They, they had this vision in their mind of what if this island, what if this culture, what if this population was marked by the characteristics of the gospel, the fruits of the Spirit? What would revival like that look like? 
When you think, when you think about your community, your neighborhood, this church, do you have the long vision in mind? Do you have the long game in mind? You see, we are called as believers, we're called as Christians to live in our communities, but to be for our communities as well. For not just material prosperity of our communities, but the spiritual prosperity of our communities. I mean, when you read the scriptures, if you're, if you're a Christian this morning, that is the mission that you've been drafted into. That is your calling. That is part of your role as a disciple of Jesus. We're not just here to play church. We're missionaries with a mission to live in the community, to be for the community, to make disciples, to love God and to love people, to know the scriptures and walk in the ways of Jesus. And you need healthy leadership and healthy churches for that mission to gain traction. That is what Crete lacked. And so Titus receives the charge from the man who discipled him, Paul, who said, hey, appoint elders. Finish the work that I left you behind to do. Appoint elders. Because as leaders, elders should serve as a marker, as an example of how to live for the glory of God and the good of others. So it leads us into our next point that we'll spend the rest of our time breaking down. What are the marks of a leader worth emulating? What are the marks that we see in this passage of a leader worth emulating? Remember, these character qualities that we're going to go through are, are, are character qualities that should be present. Most of them should be present in every believer. In every believer. And so in verses 5 through 8, Paul lists out the qualities for Titus to look for in appointing leaders. Sorry, 6 through 8, Paul starts to list out the qualities for Titus to look for in appointing leaders. This is not an exhaustive list, right? Because there's other places in the scripture that have some other qualities, right? And there's and, and each church, each local church might have their own list of additional sort of qualities and characteristics that they're looking for in leaders. So this is not an exhaustive list. This is like the bare minimum that Paul is talking to for Titus. And we're going to see uh, in these next few verses the marks of a leader worth emulating, and we're going to split it under three headings. First, he needs to be a faithful example to others. Secondly, he needs to be one who kills sinful vices. And lastly, someone who cultivates spiritual virtues. So let's look at that first uh, that first sort of banner it needs to be a faithful example to others. We see this in verse 6 when in, it says, if anyone is above reproach. Now that's, that's kind of a clunky translation there when it says, if, if anyone is above reproach. A, a, a helpful uh, 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 sort of uh, colloquial translation for that would be uh, uh, to fill in uh, what is meant by if anyone and say an elder is one who is above reproach. Okay, And so in verse 6, when it says if anyone is above reproach, uh, this is uh, Paul to Titus 
clarifying what are the kind of elders, uh, what are the kind of leaders that he should be appointing. And so first, if anyone is above reproach, an elder is one who is above reproach. Now, that Greek word for above reproach is an interesting one. It's this Greek word, anegletos. Anegletos, which means blameless. Your translation might actually translate it. It means blameless or cannot be called into account or unimpeachable. Kind of a culturally relevant term of this time, right? Uh, and so an elder needs to be blameless, cannot be called into account, and unimpeachable. Now, it's not that you're expected to be perfect. If that was the case, who of us could stand? But this strong language evokes this idea that there should be no outstanding charge of sin against an elder. No glaring signs of sin that are, being, that are not being dealt with. All of us sin. All right? All of us sin. None of us are perfect. The question is, when you do sin, do you feel conviction? Do you repent? Is your heart, is your life marked with contriteness? Is it marked with repentance when you do sin? You see, good leadership, healthy biblical leadership, is not determined by the absence of mistakes or sin, but with how we deal with them. That's what's important. Are those mistakes the exception or are they the rule? Is this a pattern of sin in your life? Man, if there's a pattern of unrepentant sin in your life, the Bible multiple times throughout the Scriptures say you should be concerned about the state of your soul. That's serious business. I mean, one of the most, one of probably the scariest verse in all the New Testament is when Jesus says, look, there's some of you who think that you're followers of me, but you're really not. You have the Christian label. You do the Christian things. You go to the Christian events. But there's not real, meaningful, lasting fruit in your life. And you're not going to find out till the end. Dude, that's a daunting verse. Right out of Matthew 7. It's not that we need to be perfect that our lives should be marked by repentance when we do sin, when we do make mistakes. You see, people should be excited to follow those that are leading them. In the local church, the men that serve as pastors and elders, the people should be excited to follow those men. They should believe in them. We should never present someone to the church we should never present like a candidate for elder to the church and say, hey, we're appointing this guy to be an elder and have someone else in the room go, no way. I saw that guy passed out naked in the middle of the park on New Year's morning, right? Like that would be good to know, right? That would be good to know because that should never happen for a leader in the church. Sort of euphemism for a one-woman man. So that obviously means he's not sleeping with other women. It also means he's not, he's not marked by like a flirtatious disposition. 
He's not low-key looking at porn or fantasizing about his female co-worker. His commitment to his wife shows in the way that he treats her and talks about her and serves her. He's above reproach or above a right yeah above reproach in his marriage that's what a one woman man is and he continues on in the rest of verse six he says he's also somebody where his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination in other words If you were to look into this man's home, you would see evidence that not only is he a faithful husband, but he's also a faithful dad. Now, where it says that his children need to be believers, that's actually not a great translation of the original Greek there. And matter of fact, if you if you look in most ESV Bibles, there will be this little footnote that 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 says, uh, or 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 his children should be faithful, right? That that's what that should a better translation for that. The idea is not that your kids need to be like born again in Jesus. It's that, it, because obviously like if, if, you're, if your kids are like one, three, and five like mine are, then like that's, that's too young to know how that's going to turn out. Like what if you raise them in the ways of the Lord, but God forbid like they, they, they turn from those ways when they get older. We have... As parents, we have no sovereign control over whether or not the Holy Spirit is going to open the hearts of our children to the gospel. We have no control over that. But we do have control over how we steward our leadership and responsibility while they are in our home. You see, this requirement simply means that you're leading spiritually. That they have the appearance of believers. Now they're not. They don't necessarily have to be born again believers. But it means that you're leading spiritually. That you're being proactive. That you're taking responsibility for the spiritual health of your home. Now, just quick word to the men in this room, particularly the dads and the husbands. If you are a man in this church. If King's Cross is your church home, if you are a covenant member or in the process of joining the church, if you are a man here this morning in this church, you cannot rely on me on Sundays or on your home group leaders during the week to spiritually lead your family. That is your responsibility. That is your responsibility as the man in your home, as the head of your marriage and your household. That is your responsibility. You don't have to be like a Bible scholar. You just have to be faithful with the little that you do know. Man, we have so many tools as, 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 as men to, 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 to feed into and, and disciple our, our families. You, it means, one, you make sure that, you, that your, your family prioritizes uh, the worship of Christ on the Lord's Day with God's people. But it also means that you can just like read a devotional together every once in a while, talk about what each other's learning. As a church, like we invest into tools like right now media that we're using uh, for our, our home groups. And, and so you can review the home group study on right now media. You can download the resources from there. Ask your kids what they learned about in church. Like you may have noticed like uh, uh, 
Kelly and, and her team have just started emailing the, the parents uh, uh, starting a few months ago. Every single week in our uh, inbox, uh, we get uh, w- you'll receive uh, an email with a lesson. If you checked your kid in the, on this Sunday, like this morning, then early this week, you'll get an email from Kelly with a, a, a recap of the lesson on what your kid learned. I love that there's actually parents in here who like using it. Our, our most open like percentage emails are those emails. We want you to be families and, and men and women who, who value raising, uh, creating a, a home environment where your children are walking in the ways of the Lord. And then that also means that you model, you model the best that you can for your family, what it looks like to put Jesus first in the everyday stuff of life. In the things that you say yes to and the things that you say no to. Talk to your kids about Jesus. Talk to your kids about how you're following Jesus and then model what that looks like what it looks like to follow Jesus, even when it's hard. Because following Jesus is hard. Model for your kids what it looks like to follow Jesus, even when it's inconvenient for you. Even when it might cost you some friends. The big idea here in verse 6 is to be faithful example to others. Is he a faithful example to others in this station of life that God has him in? You, this morning, are you a faithful example to others in your station of life that God has you in? Are you a faithful example to others of what it looks like to follow Jesus? If you're married, be faithful in your marriage. If you're a parent, be faithful in your parenting. If you're single, be faithful in your singleness. Why is this important? Verse 7, he says, For an overseer, as God's steward, and in, in, in that phrase we see that elders, in some sense, are stewards. Right? Elders are stewards. Elders, pastors are stewards. We all are stewards, right? We're all stewards of whatever it is that God has given us. The, the, the time, the talents, the treasure, the people, the relationships that God has given us. We are all stewards of those things. C.S. Lewis uh, breaks down stewardship when he says, Every faculty that you have, your power of thinking or you're moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. You see, we're all stewards, every single one of us, as creatures of God, as followers of Jesus. There's nothing that we have that wasn't first given us to him. So what does that mean? That means that you say, my, God has given me a marriage, so my marriage belongs to him. He's given me kids, my kids belong to him. If you're single, he's given me singleness in a season of my life, and that is going to belong to him. My time, my time, my talents, my treasure all belong to him, and so I'm going to surrender all of these things to him and follow in his ways. An overseer is God's steward. Every believer is God's steward. And so elders need to be a faithful example to others. Number two, they also need to be 
the kind of people who kill sinful vices. Who kill sinful vices. Now, these following things in, in verse 7 are, are a list of things in our flesh that we just need to put to death by the Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. Kill these sinful vices. Beginning in verse 7, he says, He must not be arrogant. He must not be arrogant. This is sort of the vice that bleeds into all the others. Because to be arrogant is to be self-centered or self-interested, where you're out to please yourself. You have little regard to what God's will for you is or, or to what others around you need from you. And so don't be arrogant, because if you are, then that will bleed into all these other disqualifications. He says he must also be, uh, uh, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or quick-tempered. Elders should be slow to anger. Mature Christians should be slow to anger. If you're always mad at the world, it's kind of hard to lead. Kind of hard to lead if you're always a cynic. Elders in particular get put in these high-pressure situations. We get a lot of criticism on maybe the way we teach or the way we pastor or the way we're leading. Elders also carry the weight of counseling situations. They, they happily do that, but it is a weight. And so if you're short-fused and you're quick-tempered, I mean, you don't want me to kind of like punch someone in the face because they come to you for counsel, right? You can't have that. We can't afford that kind of lawsuit. Elders need to be able to address sin lovingly and handle criticism against them graciously. And so he can't be quick-tempered. He also says in the rest in verse 7 he, that he, he must not be a drunkard. He must not be a drunkard. The Bible does not forbid elders from drinking. Jesus did, the disciples did, Paul and Timothy did. But it does forbid them from drunkenness. From drunkenness. He says he must not be a drunkard. This isn't just something for elders. It says that for all Christians, in Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul tells an entire church of Christians, not just leaders, he tells this entire church. So this is for all Christians. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, hey, look, you want your life to be controlled by the Spirit, to bear fruit in the Spirit. You want the Spirit of God uh, in, uh, influencing your thoughts and your actions. Don't give in to too much wine because that flushes the Spirit out. You're no longer influenced by the Spirit when you're drunk. You're influenced by the wine. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey, look, when you're appointing elders, when you're, you're choosing healthy leaders, drunkenness has to go. Not everybody needs to abstain completely from alcohol, but some of you should. Some of you should. If you're prone to addiction, alcoholism, drunkenness, then you should abstain for the sake of the gospel, for your witness in the world, beginning at home and then in your community. 
Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so an elder must not be a drunkard. Continues in verse 7, and or he should also not be violent. He should not be violent. Now, the root noun, the root word for this adjective is plectes, which, which means a smiter, someone who is pugnacious or quarrelsome. So many great words in that definition, right? This is more than just violent, like someone who likes to hit people. This is somebody who's pugnacious and quarrelsome. This is somebody who just loves conflict. They look for it. Elders should be able to engage in healthy conflict, but they shouldn't go looking for it in this unhealthy way. Like if you, if you love conflict, if you're out for it, if you hunt for it, that's bad. But if you avoid conflict at all costs, that could be bad too. What you need are leaders who don't like conflict but aren't afraid to get into it if they have to. But they're not pugnacious. They're not quarrelsome. They're not looking for a fight every time they turn the corner. He continues in verse 7, he also needs to be somebody who's not greedy for gain, not greedy for gain. Now, this could be greedy for money. Nothing wrong for a pastor to make a living, but it is wrong to greedily take money from others. I promise we will never do a capital campaign for a new jet here. Right? It's not just monetary gain, though, that he's talking about. You can be greedy for non-monetary gain, too. Like someone who wants to be an elder to, or a pastor just so they can puff themselves up. Feel awesome about themselves. The power feels good. Right? Like that kind of person who's greedy for gain. They want to have power and prestige and privilege, not recognizing that we follow Jesus, the one who gave up his power, prestige, and privilege in the service of others. Those are things. These are things. Arrogance, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain. These are things that an elder and any growing Christian should not be. These are the vices we need to kill, that we need to mortify, that we need to go to war against. I'm using violent imagery on purpose because sometimes that's what it feels like, right? It feels like a spiritual battle. Sometimes it's hard to avoid these things. We have to fight for them. We have to kill them, do away with them. Imagine what this church would look like if none of us were marked by any of these things. Imagine what our community would look like. But RSM and Foothill and Mission Viejo and Dana Point and San Clemente and R&B, like just the Saddleback Valley and South, South Orange County. Imagine what it would look like if all the Christians stopped playing church and started being the church and actually looking like this. Imagine what our community would look like. You know, our community's Facebook group would be so boring. <laughs> 
church needs to be a salt and a light in the community. That's what God has called us to. That's what Jesus called us to. Lastly, we see in verse 8, that an elder, a faithful leader, is somebody who also cultivates spiritual virtues. Cultivates spiritual virtues. I'll go through these quickly. Verse 8, he says it needs to be, uh, so it needs to be not those other things in verse 7, but it needs to be somebody, uh, verse 8 says, who is hospitable. Now, when we talk about hospitality, we're not talking about like Martha Stewart brand of hospitality, right? Like it's less about how you decorate your dining room table. That's like entertaining. That's not hospitality. That's entertaining somebody. Hospitality means you invite people into the mess of your life. Christians and non-Christians. Hospitality means that you love people, all people, particularly lost people. It's having a genuine concern for the souls of others and inviting them into your life so that you can know what's going on with them. And so they can see what's going on with you as Jesus is changing you and growing you. Where you're opening up your own heart and your own mess for them to see God's grace at work in you and in your life and in your family. I love this quote by Greg Thompson. He's a retired uh, pastor in the Presbyterian Church of America. Uh, he's been uh, doing a lot of talks and spending a lot of ink on this topic of hospitality. He's convinced that this, this area of hospitality is, is going to be the most important mission field for Christians in our current cultural climate because of how divisive our current cultural climate is. Here's what Greg Thompson says. He says, one of the most painfully evident aspects of the church's life, at least in public, is our fear and our contempt of those who differ from us. It is true that we do have and we must have deep differences with our neighbors. That's what it means to have convictions in a pluralistic age. And it is true that some of our neighbors are going to be hostile to us because we're Christians will be misunderstood. But it's also true that God loved you and me while we were his enemies. Our neighbors, every single one of them, is made in his image, and they have an, an irreducible dignity. And we have to be the people, the poets, who can recognize the beauty where it is and welcome them in. So faithful leader needs to be somebody who cultivates spiritual virtues like this, like hospitality. But also, he continues in verse 8, he also needs to be somebody who's a lover of good. A lover of good. This is a kind of person who celebrates evidence of goodness and grace. Not an overbearing cynic, not trying to always look at what might be false or pretentious in any situation, even when it's not there. Not tearing people down where, where any chance they get, tearing people down when they're doing better than you or when they look better than you, but somebody who's a lover of good, somebody who celebrates grace in the work of others, beauty in the hearts and lives of others. Somebody who's not insecure, but builds up and encourages and draws out the goodness that they see in the people around them. He continues, he also needs to be somebody who's self-controlled, Self-controlled. Somebody who's not easily swayed. You're not easily swayed intellectually or emotionally or with the appetites of your flesh. You're not changing your theology along with the times. You enjoy food, but you're not a glutton. That means if you do enjoy wine, you're not given to it. 
If you work out, but you're not obsessive, you're not being a prude, you're not letting the vices that you have, like the things that you love to do, make it so that you impede your love for God and your love for others and your family. This isn't about like being a prude, right? Being self-controlled is not about being a prude, but it's about putting healthy restrictions that point you in the right direction. Not every desire that comes from your heart is good, just so you know. Not every thought that comes into your mind is good. Not everything that you're invited to participate in is something that you should. And so you exercise self-control and self-restriction in order to bring glory to God and free yourself, liberate yourself to do real meaningful good to others. He continues, he also needs to be somebody who is upright. That word upright means somebody who cares about mercy and justice. That means you defend those who are weak, those who are without a voice. It also means you don't cheat others. And you don't look the other way when others are being taken advantage of. You're fair and honest in how you deal with others. You defend others. You are upright. You are just. He continues and he says he also needs to be somebody who is holy. Who is holy. And again, this doesn't mean perfect. Holy means set apart for the purposes of God. And so somebody who's holy needs to be somebody who lives according to what God wants. Where you love God. You love people. You know the scriptures and you resolve to walk in the ways of Jesus. And he says, finally, he needs to be somebody who is disciplined. Somebody is disciplined. So the best, that means to the best of your ability, you implement practices and disciplines, rhythms of life to help you grow in all these other areas. You'll notice that there's a lot of overlap with some of these, right? With goodness and justice. Like a lot of these characteristics sound similar. And you'll also notice, again, that all of these characteristics we just went through is just evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, your life should be marked by these. Maybe not perfectly, but if the Holy Spirit is in your life, if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, over time, you should be maturing in these. This needs to be true. These characteristics need to be true of all of us. Look, when I was reading this, I was thinking about this in like my own life, areas of this that I need to, 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 to grow in, that I was convicted of, and I was praying that this would be true of, of, of all of us. I was praying for you guys, the sweet, that this would be true of you. That was my prayer for you. Our lives should be to others. Our lives should display compelling evidence that freedom and change in Jesus is possible. We also need to guard ourselves from, if, if you're excelling in these things, to guard ourselves from like holier-than-thou sort of posture, right? Remember that first one? Be somebody who, who isn't arrogant. Guard ourselves from this holier-than-thou sort of living and posturing, but still in a meaningful way, 
We want to model the change that God brings through the gospel. Here's a humbling question for all of us this morning. If others are following you, and to be clear, they are, where are you leading them to? Regardless of where you're at on this, where you think you're at on the leadership spectrum, leadership simply in its most basic form just means influence. You have influence on those around you, right? You might not be in a leadership position at work, but just the fact that you are in a place and people know that you belong to Jesus, like you have some type of influence on others. If you're a parent, you have influence in your home. If you're a spouse, you have influence on your spouse and the people that God has sovereignly placed around you. And so therefore, ask yourself, if others are following you, and remember that they are, where are you leading them to? Through the way you live your life, where are you leading them to? Is your life a faithful example to them? Or is it unfaithful? Are you leading them away from sinful vices? or straight into their jaws? Are you leading them toward righteous virtues? You need to understand the weight of this. is why it's so important to the Lord and the Scriptures. It comes up again and again, not just for leaders, but just for just the conduct of the Christian life. One of, one of the things about, uh, about Titus, the entire book, we won't just see it here in this passage, but throughout the book, is it shows what our lives should look like, not just as leaders, but as a church, when we actually live out the grace of God, the transforming grace of God in our lives. And if you lack, if you are a professing Christian with your mouth, but you lack character in your life, you can drown out the message of the gospel. You might say that you're a Christian with your mouth, Will the character of your life be telling people that Jesus really bears no meaningful weight on my day-to-day life? And again, it's not about having this holier-than-thou posture where you're constantly flexing how different you are than your neighbors. The gospel makes us attractive in inviting people in, but sometimes it's going to be offensive. Some of us try too hard to be offensive, right? That doesn't mean you're holy. That just means you're a jerk. You see, if you lack character, you can drown the message of the gospel, but with godly character, you put it on display. That's what it means to be salt and light. We preserve what is good in the culture around us like salt, and we're light where their culture is in darkness. And in all of this, in all of this, we need to recognize that what Paul is calling Timothy to do is to find leaders to where the, 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 the message that they proclaim matches up with their walk, that their, their, their walk matches their talk. That what they believe matches their behavior. That's what Titus is uh, being told to look for. 
And when we see that gap, when we have this gap between what we claim to believe and how we behave with our lives, we need to remember the good news that Jesus bridges that gap. Jesus bridges that gap. He is the one who died for our vices. He hung on the cross in our place for our sins, absorbing the righteous wrath of God in our place. He took our sins, our spiritual vices, onto Himself to liberate us. He died for our vices and He empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live lives of virtue. And so the solution isn't just try harder. We should try harder, but that's not the solution. That's not going to earn our way in. The means by which we can grow and bear fruit is by abiding in Jesus. He says he's the vine, we're the branches. If we want to do anything good, if we want to do anything meaningful, if we want to bear any spiritually, spiritual fruit, we need to abide in him, rest in him. He says, look, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. Abide in him. Rest in him. Are your steps, the steps of your life, leading others to danger or to hope in the Lord Jesus and abiding in him? We close with this. Verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which says, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. King's Cross, may, may that be true of us. Spread the beauty and the fragrance and the excellencies of our Lord Jesus everywhere. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.